Let's turn our friends to the often um, we read in Luke chapter 12, and we can take for a reference this evening, or this morning, verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And especially that phrase at the end of verse 7. You are of more value than many sparrows. <clears throat> These days, um, we are witnessing a tragedy, which I endeavor to highlight to you the last time I was in this pulpit, a tragedy of global proportions. And despite interest in Christianity and in the gospel in some persecuted nations of the world, such as China and parts of Africa and such like, nevertheless, the Western world seems to have turned its back on religion, the very religion that made the Western world prosperous in the first place. But it's not merely the rejection of a religion that we are witnessing. It is the rejection of the true and living God. Now, sometimes this uh, rejection is blatant and obvious. They don't even try to hide it. But other times, it's much more subtle. The atheist boasts in it. But there are others who reject God in a far more subtle way. They even do it unconscious to themselves. They're not even aware that that is what they are doing. If we look at Jews in biblical times, in the Old Testament, for example, there were no atheists amongst them. They all believed that God existed, every one of them. However, the proof of their belief was in the extent to which they actually lived by those beliefs. And on that basis, it is evident that many of them were actually rejecting God despite knowing that he did exist. And that's why we have such a um, tragic condemnation of these people recorded for us in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter, two, chapter 3, referring to the Jews, the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, who accompanied Moses on that epic wilderness journey, we read, Hebrews 3, God was grieved with them 40 years in that they sinned and their carcasses fell in the wilderness. Now, how many are there in every age 
that believe God exists, that are known as upright citizens, that even attend the Christian church, that have even baptized their children in the name of Jesus Christ. And yet, by virtue of not living by what they claim to believe, they are in mortal danger of actually rejecting God. Now, of course, it's not that anyone can possibly live exemplary Christian lives and offer God that kind of perfect obedience that um, even angels struggled to give. The angels that fell couldn't maintain their obedience. No Christian can maintain perfect obedience. But Christians should at least endeavor to live obedient lives. Christians should demonstrate to the world that they live according to the word and the laws of God. That is what we are expected to do. If we believe in the living God, then we are expected to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are expected to mold our lives around the word and the laws of God. That's the real definition of a Christian. It's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who lives that kind of life that is molded by the word and the laws of God. So given what's happening throughout the Western world today, we need to assess these events by shining biblical light on the things that are changing and the things that haven't changed and cannot change. Now, I'd like to do that with you this morning by exploring two main topics. First of all, we shall look at the God that is currently being rejected by the Western world. And then secondly, we're going to look at the claim Jesus makes here in our text. You are of more value than many sparrows. So let's look then at the rejection of God. 2,000 years ago, the Gentile world, that is the world outside the boundaries of Israel, that world was quite ignorant of the true and living God. They didn't ever hear that there was such a God. However, as Christianity began to spread through the Gentile world, so did acceptance of the Christian God. And from the time of the apostles, the claims of Christianity captivated the minds of citizens throughout the Gentile world. Fortified by the resurrection of Christ, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and by the teaching of Holy Scripture, of course, the message of Christianity began to make perfect sense to a world that had existed in total ignorance of God. 
And it wasn't just that this religion, this new religion, was different from the claims of other religions. It was singularly unique. They had never heard the likes of it. People had never heard of a creator God. They had never heard of a personal God. They had never heard of a God of love. They had never heard of a God that had personal relationships with men and women and with boys and girls. A God that acted and spoke in the interests of human beings. They never heard of such gods. Every culture in the world at that time, beyond the borders of Israel, oh yes, they had their gods, but they spoke of God in superstitious terms. They had gods of fortune and misfortune. They had gods of wood, stone, and brass. They had gods residing in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. They had gods of anger and gods of vengeance. They had gods that people had to appease but could never please. Then along came Christianity, preaching an eternal, majestic, sovereign God. And the Christian scriptures taught this God actually created the sun and the moon and the stars. He created them. This God ordered and ordained and controlled the ebb and flow of the tide all over the world. This God had all the answers for the complexity of the universe. And one of Christianity's more astonishing claims for the Gentile world was that this God claimed to have created humanity in his own image. This God bestowed dignity and purpose on the lives of men and women and boys and girls. Unheard of up at that point. But perhaps what oppressed the world more than anything else was that this Christian God held the answers to the deeper questions of life. These questions that men and women and boys and girls ask in every generation, in every culture. Christianity had an explanation for pain and for suffering, for death, for sin, for guilt. It taught the significance of morals and ethics and decency and civility, but more important still, the core message of this Christian religion focused on the crucified Christ of God as the saviour of the lost. And through faith in him, pardon and forgiveness 
hope, and peace were all available to anyone willing to accept the gospel message. All of this, my friends, was unknown outside of Israel. And as the gospel was preached, the heathen world slowly began to change. Particularly after the Emperor Constantine was converted. And shortly after that, another emperor declared that the Christian religion would now be the religion of the Roman Empire. The gospel spread like wildfire. Nation after nation adopted a Christian worldview. And the Ten Commandments of the Bible became the basis for religious practice, moral conduct, and social behavior. Yes, of course, the Christian church messed up and messed up in many ways on different occasions. There's no denying that. But nevertheless, my friends, the best standards of decency and civility and good religious practice recognized throughout history, they're all birthed in the Christian religion. All thanks to the true and living God of heaven. But alas, we are now witnessing a full-blown revolt against this God. He has been rejected today on a scale never before seen. The Western world no longer desires to live by the teaching of the Bible and by the Ten Commandments. For a generation keen to live by the most basic instincts of their fallen nature, these laws are far too restrictive. Far too restrictive. Let's cast their bands from us, as the psalmist put it. And they find it liberating. Liberating to kill unborn babies. They find it liberating to practice every vile and moral relationship imaginable. They find it liberating to blaspheme the God of heaven with impunity. They find it liberating to mock your beliefs as a Christian. Today, my friends, to our everlasting shame, in our world, vice is preferred over virtue. Evil is preferred over good. Darkness is preferred over light. Crass vulgarity is preferred over noble conduct. And furthermore, in all of this, they boast in the support of governments. Civil law, my friends, is now on their side. Not on ours. 
and to legitimize and solidify their paganizing of our nation, their mission includes outlawing what kept a lid on all of this for 2,000 years. The Bible, the Ten Commandments. They have already succeeded in declaring parts of the Bible as hate speech. There are biblical statements that are no longer allowed in the public square. Meanwhile, the root target in all of this, my friends, is rejection of the true and living God. It may, it may materialize in terms of hatred of the Bible, hatred of God's laws, hatred of Jesus Christ, but the target is God. That is the prevailing mindset of our fellow citizens throughout the Western world in 2023. Sad to say. But I want to move on now to look at this text that defies that attitude. It's the polar opposite of what that view is. You are of more value than many sparrows. What an incredible thing for Christ to say. I think this is something that can lift our spirits, something that can cheer our hearts, something that can encourage our minds as we embark on our journey through 2023. In a world characterized by hatred and violence and bitterness and strife, a world that values only its own perverse practices, here's Almighty God. Telling all that will believe in him, all that will trust him, you are of more value than many sparrows. The more you repeat these words, the more astonishing they become. In the context, Jesus spoke those words to console and to encourage the Jews who were being failed by their leaders. The leaders, of course, weren't atheists, as I mentioned. There were no atheists in biblical times in Israel. But nevertheless, their rejection of Jesus Christ was tantamount to atheism. And instead of ruling by God's word and God's laws, they set themselves up as gods. They imposed their own rules and regulations upon the, their communities. Citizens were living in fear of them. And that's why we find Jesus in, in, in verse 4. Fear not, he says, them that kill the body and have no more they can do. Don't be afraid of them. In other words, remember, however difficult life is under these charlatans, and however threatened you may feel in your very life, remember this. There's an afterwards, an afterwards, and we shall be singing 
of that afterwards in our final praise here this morning. So he warns them in verse 5, Fear him which after he hath killed has power to cast into hell. And then he brings in this compassion and hope and mercy, illustrating God's care, and I hasten to add, for all creation by referring to tiny little sparrows. Are not, this is in verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God. And for those of you who are um, rather young here this morning, two farthings is a coinage that existed when I was a boy, um, which is worth so little today it wouldn't even function on the scale. In other words, worthless. What an incredible statement by the God that our nation is today rejecting. You are of more value than many sparrows. A God that cares even for a tiny bird that has no soul and that has no conscience. Didn't Jesus also say of birds in another context in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6? They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. But he does more than that. We were singing a moment ago in Psalm 145. Thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. The God that our world is now rejecting. A God who cares for every creature in the skies, on the earth, and even under the earth. And that includes, I hasten to add, creatures you and I despise. Creatures we tend to trample under our feet or spray with poison. And it's not just for creatures that God cares. He cares for all creation. Jesus on one occasion either took or referred to a flower, a lily of the valley, a flower made beautiful by God. And he declared this, Matthew chapter 6 again. Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. God sees the flowers in your garden more beautiful than Solomon was in all his glory. The God, our world, is now rejected. Our God, my friends, demonstrates his care, his compassion, 
his kindness, his mercy to everyone in the world in one way or another. Now look again at the contrast between the world's attitude to, attitude to the sparrows and God's attitude. In the world's marketplace, Jesus tells us, little sparrows are virtually worthless. Are not five sold for two farthings? Virtually worthless. But not so to God. Verse six again. Not one of them is forgotten before God. How incredible is that? Now we can encapsulate all these references into this illustration, then focus on the main point. You are of more value than many sparrows. Does that not make you feel rather special? Whoever you are here this morning. He made a similar point, Jesus did, when he mentioned the fowls of the air in Matthew 6. Are you not much better than they? Now, all this refers in the first instance to humanity. There's no qualification where these texts appear in the New Testament. Humanity in general, not merely believers, and I'll come to that shortly. The point Jesus was making was that to God, humans who are made in his own image, humans are infinitely more valuable than any other creature. You see, my friends, valuable as the sparrow is to God, God did not make that sparrow in his own image. Each sparrow is made after its own kind. God didn't take that sparrow and breathe life into its beak. He bestows life on the sparrow without any eternal implications. He cares for them. He provides for them. But there's no relationship there. The sparrow was born and the sparrow dies. But there is no afterward. For the sparrow. But there is for you. And there is for me. And that's why we humans are of more value than many sparrows. There's an afterward for us, my friends. So let's explore further what Jesus means here. Let's look at the value of human life. Now it seems that the modern world that it places less and less value on human life. We know that, we can see it with unborn babies killed with impunity. More than ever, individuals are taking their own lives. The statistics on that is quite frightening throughout the Western world. And furthermore, in my own view, people who play with highly dangerous sports, people who abuse alcohol and drugs, they also pl place little value on their own lives. 
Whereas the God being rejected by our world insists not only that he cares for all human life, but that we should care deeply about our own lives and the lives of others. And that's why he introduced immediately after the reconstituting the world following the flood, the first thing God did was impose the sixth commandment. Even before the commandment, there shall have no other gods before me, he said, you will not kill. And that sixth commandment is, of course, a two-sided coin. It prohibits the taking of human life. And at the same time, there's the other side of the coin. It insists that there is an obligation on each one of us to preserve life, our own life, and the lives of others. The sparrow, my friends, is a tiny, soulless creature. It can't laugh. It can't weep. It can't love. Humans are altogether different. We do love, and we weep, and we love. And more significant still, we can and we do sin against God. And that's what makes this text so incredibly amazing. Despite our sinnership, despite our guilt, despite our unworthiness, God is still insisting you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, whatever this means for humans in general, let's leave that aside. <laughs> It has particular meaning for Christians, for those who have been reborn in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to demonstrate our value in God's eyes, special language and special terminology is used in the Bible with regard to those of us who believe in Jesus as our Savior. For example, twice we are referred to as the darlings of God. The darlings of God. We were singing about one of these instances a moment ago in Psalm 22. Deliver my darling from the power of the dog, the enemies of God. But what you're saying, is that not a messianic psalm? Does that not refer to Jesus Christ? What are you as a born-again Christian, but someone who is in Christ? All these texts are referred to Christ in a covenantal, um, redemptive way. They refer to you as well. He is the darling of heaven, and you're the darling of heaven, because you're inseparable from the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer here this morning. And that term is repeated again, as you know, perhaps in Psalm 35. Rescue my darling from the lions. And our value as Christians in the sight of God is further confirmed to it by what I always consider a, an astonishing text in the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 49. 
I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. You cannot help but take that text to Calvary and see those crucified hands of the Lord Jesus Christ and hear the voice of God saying, I have graven you in the palms of my hand. And it's because of our value in the eyes of God that he promises us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I mean, what must be the greatest religious understatement ever spoken or written? Jesus spoke of her value to himself in the simplest language. He said, and this is in John 15, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. Do you not think that is an understatement of what Jesus actually did? Lay down his life for his friends. He went a thousand times over beyond laying down his life for his friends. In fact, when the Apostle John thought about this love, he wrote his astonishment. His astonishment. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, he says, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? Yes, my friends, we are of more value than many sparrows. It's worth noting. And I realize that time is going quickly. It's worth noting the word that Jesus chose in this phrase of more value. The primary meaning of that word is not actually value in the sense of that coinage is a value. Its primary meaning is actually to bear or carry through to a place. This is how much God values his people. He used his son to bear us, to carry us all the way to Calvary. That's why we hear Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ. And then Jesus Christ takes us and bears us and carries us every single day we live in this world and he will bear us and carry us all the way through the wall of death and into the Father's house of many mansions. You are of more value, my friends, than many sparrows. All of these texts that I have quoted and many more besides were fulfilled at Calvary. Because it's at Calvary that we were made the darlings 
of heaven. It was a Calvary that our names were graven into the palms of our Savior's hand. It was a Calvary that he loved us to the extent that he laid down his life for his friend. And it's a Calvary that we see the full extent of that love. Its height, its depth, its length, and its breadth. The love of God, eternal, everlasting. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now let me conclude with a challenge. Where do you see yourself relative to all of this? Now, I know you're not an atheist by virtue of your presence here this morning. I know you're not an atheist. But are you in the ranks of those that are in danger of rejecting God nevertheless? Are you a fair-weather friend of Jesus Christ? Content with a minimalistic approach to Christianity? Doing as little as possible? Taking the box, going to church, offering a little prayer now and again. Or do you believe in your heart of hearts that you are indeed of more value to God than many sparks? Ever the kiss, my friend, you remember this? God knows exactly where you stand. Look at verse 7 again, the beginning of the verse. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows exactly where you stand relative to Jesus Christ. So as we embark on our journey through 2023, let's demonstrate to God what our appreciation is, the extent of our appreciation for holding us as of more value than many sparrows. Let's show God our appreciation of that. And let's do so by ensuring we are not going with the flow of this world. We are not rejecting our God. We are not rejecting his word and his laws. We are not rejecting the claims of our Savior. Let's nail our colors to the mast, my friends. Let's stand up and be counted as those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Let's take up that cross and follow him every single day, dying unto sin, living unto him. Righteousness. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and blessed God, we thank thee for the inestimable privilege of being held in thine own estimation as of more value than many sparrows. What can we say but praise thy blessed and glorious name? Oh, grant us grace, O oh Lord, to be appreciative of thy loving kindness 
and enable us to live to thy glory, to walk humbly before thee, and not to be ashamed of naming the name of Christ as our Lord, God, prophet, priest, and king. For his name's sake, amen.